0: Story 5 of The Third Circle by Frank Norris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story 5 The Strangest Thing the best days in the voyage from the cape to southampton are those that come immediately before and immediately after that upon which you cross the line when the ship is as steady as a billiard-table and the ocean is as smooth and shiny and coloured as the mosaic floor of a basilica church when the deck is covered with awning from stem to stern and the rosin bubbles out of the masts and the thermometer in the companionway at the entrance to the dining-saloon climbs higher and higher with every turn of the screw of course all the men-people aboard must sleep on deck these nights there is a pleasure in this that you will find nowhere else at six your steward wakes you up with your morning cup of coffee and you sit cross-legged in your pyjamas on the skylight and drink your coffee and smoke your cigarettes and watch the sun shooting up over the rim of that polished basilica floor and take pleasure in the mere fact of your existence and talk and talk and tell stories until it's time for bath and breakfast we came back from the cape in the moor with a very abbreviated cabin list only three of the smaller tables in the saloon were occupied and those mostly by men diamond brokers from kimberley gold brokers from the rand the manager of a war correspondent on a lecture tour cut short by the ashanti war an english captain of twenty-two who had been with jameson at krugersdorp and somehow managed to escape an australian reporter named miller and two or three others of a less distinct personality miller told the story that follows early one morning sitting on the bull-board tailor fashion and smoking pipefuls of straight perique black as a nigger's wool we were grouped around him on the deck in pyjamas and bathrobes. It was half after six, the thermometer was at seventy degrees, the moor cut the still water with a soothing rumble of her screw, and at intervals flushed whole schools of flying fish. Somehow the talk had drifted to the inexplicable things that we had seen, and we had been piecing out our experience with some really beautiful lies captain thatcher the krugerstorp chap held that the failure of the jameson raid was the most inexplicable thing he had ever experienced but none of the rest of us could think of anything we had seen or heard of that did not have some stealthy shadowy sort of explanation sneaking after it and hunting it down well i saw something a bit thick once observed miller pushing down the tobacco in his pipe-bowl with the tip of a calloused finger and in the abrupt silence that followed we heard the noise of dishes from the direction of the galley it was in johannesburg three years back when i was down on luck. i had been rooked properly by a welsh gaming chap who was no end of a bounder and three quid was all that stood between me and well he broke in suddenly i had three quid left i wore down me feet walking the streets of that bally town looking for anything that would keep me going for a while and give me a chance to look round and fetch breath and there was nothing but i tell you nothing and i was fair desperate One die, and a filthy wet die it was, too, I had gone out to the race-track beyond Hospital Hill, where the pony-races were run, thinking as might be I'd find a berth handling ponies there. But the season was too far gone, and they turned me away. I came back to town by another road, then by the way that fetches round about by the Mohammedan burying-ground. Well, the pauper bearing ground used to be alongside in those days, and as I came up, jolly well blown, I tell you, for I'd but tighten me belt by way of breakfast, I saw a chap divin a grive. I was in a mind for grives meself just then, so I pulled up and leaned over the fence and piped him off at his work. Then, like the geezer I'd come to be, I says, What are you doin there, friend? He looked me over between shovelfuls a bit and then said, oh just settin out early violets and that shut me up properly well i piped him diggin that grive for perhaps five minutes and then to help me i asked him for a job i did i asked that grive digger for a job it was that low he leans his back against the side of the grive and looks me over then by and by says he all right partner i'm thinkin you're from the stites says i guess yes he says and goes on digging well we came to terms after a while he was to give me to bob a die for helping him at his work and i was to have a bunk in his shack as he called it a box of a house built of four boards as a matzai that stood just on the edge of the graveyard. he was a rummin was that yankee chap over pipes that night he told me something of himself and do you know that digger in the pauper bearing ground in johannesburg south africa was a harvard graduate "'Struck me straight, if I don't believe he really was. "'The man was a wreck from strong drink, "'but that was the one thing he was proud of. "'Yes, sir,' he'd say, over and over again, "'looking straight ahead of him. "'Yes, sir, I was a Harvard man once, "'and pulled at number 5 in the boat. "'The varsity boat, mind you, "'and then he'd go on talking half to himself. "'And now what am I? "'I'm digging grives for hire, "'burying dead people for a living, "'when I ought to be dead myself.' i am dead and buried long ago it's just the whiskey that keeps me alive miller he would say when i stop that i'm done for the first morning i came round for work i met him dressed as if to go to town and carrying a wickered demijohn miller he says i'm going into town to get this filled you must stop here and be ready to answer any telephone call from the police station so help me if there wasn't a telephone in the beastly shack if a pauper cops off they'll ring you up from town and notify you to have the grive ready if i'm a y you'll have to dig it remember if it's a man you must dig a six-foot-six hole if it's a woman five feet will do and if it's a kid three and a half will be plenty so long and off he goes strap me blind but there was a long die that first one i the pauper grives for view and me own thoughts for company but long about noon the harvard graduate not showing up i found a diversion the graduate had started to paint the shack at one time but had given over after finishing one side but the paint pot and the brushes were there i got hold of em and mixed a bit of paint and went the rounds of the grives you know how it is in a pauper burying-ground no knives at all on the headboards, naught but numbers and half em washed away by the rinds So I, for a diversion as I sigh, started in to paint all manner of fancy nimes and epitaphs on the headboards. Any nime that struck me fancy, and then underneath an appropriate epitaph, and the dights, of course. I don't forget the dates. You know, that was the rarest enjoyment I ever had. You don't think so? Try it once. Why, God blind me, there's a chance for imagination in it and genius and art, highest kind of art for instance now i'd squat down in front of a blank headboard and think a bit and the inspiration would come and i'd write like this maybe john k bogart of new zealand born december twenty one eighteen seventy died june five eighteen ninety and then underneath he rests in peace or else elsie youngest daughter of mary b and william h Born May 1st, 1880, died November 25, 1889. Not lost, but gone before. Or again, Lucas, Lieutenant T.V., killed in battle at Wadi Haifa, Egypt, August 30, 1889. Born London, England, January 3, 1850. He lies like a warrior. Dyken his rest with his martial cloak around him. Or something humorous as bohunkus j j born germany october third eighteen eighty died by request cape town september 4th, 1890. or one that i remember as my very best effort that read willie beloved son of anna and gustav harris born april first eighteen seventy eight died may fifth eighteen eighty eight he was a man before his mother then i wrote me own nime with the epitaph more sinned against than sinning and the Harvard chaps too. His motto, I remember, was He pulled five in his varsity boat. Well, I had more sport that afternoon than I've ever had since. You know, I felt as if I really were acquainted with all those people with John Bogart and Lieutenant Lucas and Bohunkus and Willie and all. Ah, that was a proper experience. But right in the middle of me work, here comes a telephone message from town. "'Body of dead baby found at mouth of city sewer. "'Prepare a grive at once. "'While I dug that grive, the first, last, and only grive I have a hope to dig. "'It came on to Rhine like a water-spout, and oh, but it was jolly tough work. "'Then about four o'clock, just as I was finishing, "'the harbour chap comes home howling drunk. "'I see him go into the shack, and pretty soon he comes out with a hoe in one hand "'and a table-leg in the other.' soon as ever he sees me he makes a staggering run at me swinging the hoe and the table leg and yelling like a zulu in daba just to make everything agreeable and appropriate i was down in the grive and it occurred to me that the situation was too uncommon convenient i scrambled out and made a run for it for there was murder in his eye and for upwards of ten minutes we two played blind man's buff in that graveyard. me dodging from one headboard to another and he at me heels chibbing me like a fox and with intent to kill all at once he trips over a headboard and goes down and can't get up and at the same minute here comes the morgue wagon over hospital hill now here comes the queer part of this lamentable story a trap was following that morgue wagon a no end swell trap with a cob in the shafts that was worth an independent fortune there was an old gent in the trap and a smart cape boy driving the old gent was the heaviest kind of a swell but i'd never seen him before the morgue wagon drives into the yard and i the harvard chap being too far gone points out the grive the driver of the morgue wagon chucks out the coffin a bit of a three-foot box and drives back to town then up comes the trap and the old gent gets down dressed to the nines he was in that heartbreaking breaking rhine and says he my man i would like to have that coffin opened by this time the harvard chap had pulled himself together he staggered up to the old gent and says no can't open oh, no coffin against all regulations all regu can't permit no coffin to open i wish you would have seen the old gent excited the man was shaking like a flagstaff in a guile talked thick and stammered he was so phased. god strike me what a scene i can see it now that pauper bearing ground why down there in south africa no trees all open and bleak the pelton rain the open grive and the drunken harvard chap and the excited old swell arguing over a baby's coffin pretty soon the old gent brings up a sovereign and gives it to the harvard chap let her go says he then and with that he gives the top board of the coffin such a kick as started it an inch or more with that now listen to what i'm tellin with that the old gent goes down on his knees in the mud and muck and kneels there waiting and fair gasping with excitement while the harvard chap wrenches off the top-board before he had raised it four inches me old gent plunges his hand in quick gropes there a second and takes out something something shut in the palm of his hand that's all says he thank you my man and gives us a quid apiece we stood there like stuck swine dotty with the queerness and horribleness of the thing that's all he says again with a long breath of relief as he climbs into his trap with his clothes all foul with mud that's all thank god then to the cape boy drive me home jim five minutes later we lost him in the blur of the rain over hospital hill but what was it he took out of the baby's coffin said half a dozen men in a breath at this point What was it? What could it have been? Ah, what was it? said Miller. I'd be damned if I know what it was. I never knew. I never will know. End of Story 5